me, touring right now is the most profitable. One-off gigs, I can ask for you know a certain amount of money, but that's the one night. The more I tour, my experience is going up. People can see what I'm doing, so I can start to ask for more. Your mileage may vary with this particular approach, but who dares wins? Give it a shot. I'm Mike Moschetto. This is Selling Out. I'm the casino that pays nothing when you win. Hey, you're listening to Selling Out, a true crime podcast about the mysterious disappearance of the contents of my savings account and my entire 20s. I'm Mike Moschetto, and for this episode, I sat down with Leanne Bose, bass guitar extraordinaire, and from where I'm sitting, one of the hardest working people in the Los Angeles music scene. If you were to know her work from anything, it's probably a band called Hunter Valentine, who toured in support of the likes of Sum 41 and Cindy Lauper, but as a professional hired gun, you might have heard Leanne accompanying a whole host of artists from Star of Stage and Screen, Corey Feldman, to my own wife's records back when we were in college. Leanne and I met when we were both studying at Emerson, Go Lions. I don't know exactly how we first crossed paths because she was quite sensibly an advertising major. Uh, and now she's the one getting in the van playing 1500 cap rooms and I'm the guy podcasting about it when I'm done with my nine to five. So it's kind of an interesting turn of the tables there, but I'm legitimately very happy for her. She's working her ass off and getting good things coming to her, which she really deserves. She's very talented and, uh, things are trending in the right direction. So everybody's happy. That's good. It's good. You got to gas up your friends sometimes when they're doing cool shit, man. Not a lot of nuggets of wisdom on this podcast, but I'd consider that one of them. I should say that this was actually my second attempt to interview Leanne for this show. The first conversation is unfortunately lost to the technological abyss, but Leanne was very gracious with her time and let me interview her again, this time in her home in LA when I was out there recently. So I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Hopefully you will too. Without further delay, here is my conversation with professional bassist Leanne Bose. working bassist. There's a certain mental image that comes to mind, rolling out of bed at like noon. <laughs> I slept in my clothes, so I'm like all set to go. Uh, you know, I'm late to practice and then I'm even later to the gig somehow. So I guess just paint me a picture of like what a day in the life looks like, if that's even a useful metric. Yeah, really a lot of my life uh, as a professional bassist is spent First of all, practicing. So a lot of my day, I'll wake up. If I have to chart brand new music, that's something I start with. I like my coffee brain in the morning. That's when I like to get the sort of thought stuff done. If I've already charted music or if I've played with this particular artist before, it's a matter of rehearsing and committing to memory. If it's a an audition that I'm practicing for, a lot of times I'll rent a rehearsal space so that I'm like in an environment where I feel like it's a new space just to give myself that. Anyway, so a lot of my daytimes are spent with that. My nighttimes, yeah, if there's a rehearsal I have to attend, uh, I get there 
on time. <laughs> good, good, good start. Yes. Uh, you know, lots of giving myself an hour to deal with LA traffic, getting to the rehearsal, rehearsing, gigging, um, obviously getting to the gig for sound check usually is like five o'clock again, dealing with a lot of LA traffic. Seems early. Uh, yeah, sound checks can be that early, five or six. And then um, gigs, uh, you know, usually start at, you know, anywhere between, honestly, 9 and 1 a.m., 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. So it's a lot of staying up late. Um, yeah. If I'm not gigging, honestly. So you are rolling out of bed at, like, noon. Uh, I'm right about that. Sometimes. Okay. After a gig. No, no judgment here. No, yeah. After a gig, usually I try to do 10 o'clock is the sort of latest I try to sleep in, which, you know, is fair. But a lot of times, honestly, my week nights are spent going to other shows, too. There's a lot of networking components. So I was going to ask about that. Like, yeah. there, there's obviously, you have your own contacts, you people who reach out to you for gigs. Yeah. And then in terms of finding new gigs, is most of that incumbent on you? Or yes. how much of it is like word of mouth or like friend of a friend kind of? Well, it's a mixture. I have sort of my to-do list is combines both digital and in-person networking. So a lot of times I'll be on apps. I'll be looking at other people's social media. There's a lot of referrals, uh, Facebook group referral kind of thing. So scouring those a lot, just connecting with people digitally. And then, yeah, the in-person networking you go and just remind people who you are and just make sure, you know, if you have friends performing, go and see them. You know, that's a huge thing. There's a lot of jam nights here I love going to. I perform at them a lot, but even if I'm not performing, I'm there seeing who's playing. You know, I'm just kind of staying in the scene. Um, it's a small scene when you really get down to it. So you start to know everyone. I've come to a place I've realized where if someone's like maybe not from LA and they're like, oh, my friend is a guitar player in LA. Do you know so-and-so? And it's always yes. Like I'm, wow. I've gotten to know a lot of people, which is one of my favorite things about being a musician is, you know, meeting new people. But if I'm not playing a show, I can typically be at a show networking. Um, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> I've had in the recent past, my latest trend, and I'm not proud of this, is buying a ticket to a show. And then when it rolls around, I'm like, eh, I don't feel like it. And this is not to network, mind you. This is like right, to go to and, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, recreationally. So like, do you still enjoy going to gigs or is it all like hustle for you at this point? Um, I definitely still enjoy it. I, I mean, you have to. Yeah, I do. It's definitely friends shows. I enjoy it because they're playing. And few and far between, I would say, I buy a ticket to a show lately. But when I do, yeah, it's still super well, fun. Well, you're already on the schedule of yeah. like, the nightlife thing. <laughs> right. I feel like it's maybe hard for the average listener, where the rest of the show is really focused on like this person is in a band and like that's mm. how they interface with the world. Just for the sake of example, how many different artists are you working with in the next, say, three months that okay. you know about. Yeah, so gigs I have booked in the next three months, um, four different artists. Four different artists. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I, right under the couch where you are, <laughs> there's a... <laughs> Selling my, out west. <laughs> my charts uh, for all of my artists that I've ever worked with in LA. And it's these huge folder, file folder things. And I've replaced the word like taxes with like a band name. And so I have all of the charts for all these bands. And I've because I've come to realize even if I do a one-off and I'm like, that's probably the last time. Very rarely. Like, the usually they'll call back. Yeah. And so it's... Compliment to you. Yeah. And it's one of my biggest, like, tips if people ask about, like, how I manage all these gigs is just keeping all of the charts. Because there's also something where if an artist wants to use a different place, but if you're not available, you can just send the charts to the new person that you've made. I chart everything. I do visual first and then to memory. So... Hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're giving away the farm. I know, right? Bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but so I've kept everything. So you never know when someone's going to call you back to do something else. So, you know, in a three months average, 
four or five artists. Four or five different artists. Yeah. And what kinds of artists are we talking about? Are we talking artists that are doing original material that you're working with, or is it like GB kind of bands? Or yeah, the the next three month example. It's general we've got business bands for that. General business. Lay people. <laughs> it's uh, all original. The next couple of months, it's one sort of indie pop band. Uh, you know, they use tracks. It's really fun, sort of dancey. One is sort of a more straightforward rock band. That's one gig um, at the end of October. Another artist I recently started working with, um, sort of straightforward bluesy rock. All originals, though. That's okay. that's what I like to do, too. I do covers for the jam nights, and I love doing that, learning sure. covers and just kind of hopping on stage. But, um, yeah, the originals are fun. But you're not doing, like, I don't know, like a wedding band or right. that kind I am of thing. Not. Yeah. I don't love filling my brain with covers. And I, I have nothing against people that do, obviously. So many of my friends make careers doing wedding bands and cover bands. But I'm going to cut out the part where you said I have nothing against them. So then I think you're just talking shit. <laughs> I, I did one kind of recently and I, I you know, enjoyed the gig. But, uh, you know, learning like 60 covers for one night, uh, you know, a pub night. Um, that is a lot. And it's yeah. like, you know, 18 Beatles songs. And it's just sort of. The, the thing that I have against that for my, my own brain is I have a solid, wicked short-term memory where I can like learn a set in a night and get on stage and kill. Like That's sort of my specialty. What I'm not as good at is storing that for the long term. So then those 18 Beatles songs that I learned for that one night and crushed, I have to relearn for the next cover gig if I do that again. So that's where I don't like the covers. I know people that just store that up there and just, you know, maybe they don't learn it fast, but once it's there, it's there. Yeah. yeah. How often do you find yourself outside of LA on the road? I know you just got back from something. Yeah, I wish more. Right now, right now I would say I've been for the past year uh, four four months total out. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. That's more than I feel like most people who have a steady band that they think about and concern themselves with all the time. Yeah, I would say like my ideal would be closer to seven or eight. Wow. I'd rather be out more. Yeah, as of now, this is like what I want now, you know. Um, sure. So, yeah, it's I, I love being on the road. Part part of why I do it all is for the, the touring part, you know, all the networking. What's holding you back from doing the road thing more? Is it just the requests aren't really coming in? There isn't that much work there? Yeah, it's just a matter of, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I am still a little bit new to the L.A. scene. Uh, you know, I kind of hit the ground running in the first year, but I'm still working my way. And I feel I feel now I'm getting recommended pretty rapidly for things. Um, so it's sort of. I foresee that my 2020 being closer to my goal. I cool, would say cool. first year was more local. Second year in LA has been way more road than the first year. I think the third is a matter of time, 2020. Right on. Well, I guess what brought you to LA? Just music? Yeah. That aspiration? Yeah. Being in New York was awesome, but every sort of audition that I heard about that I would really be excited about was here. Someone would be like, hey, if you're in LA, you know, this person's auditioning just more what I want to be doing. New York, I feel, is fantastic for bands coming from the ground up together. Um, obviously, everywhere, everywhere is getting gentrified. Clubs are closing, oh, whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. in New York, I think that's more the vibe. Um, in LA, it's more this pop star needs a bass player for a tour. That's like kind of what I came here for. Should stick around. Um, <laughs> when you say auditions, yeah. How are you finding out about them? Is it through like the Facebook groups that you were talking about earlier or? Let's see. I'm trying to think of the most recent audition. Is there like a trade union, like a musician's guild that you kind of get these 
listings from or all of the auditions that i've had in la have been through recommendations from other people so it'll be so and so like i i just got a gig and and now honestly a lot of times i don't audition they just bring me on i was just gonna ask that yeah yeah for tours it's a little bit different but for one-offs it's just hey come to this rehearsal and then we play this day that's usually through referral um you know maybe a bass player couldn't make it they were sick so i go right in or they have another gig and then usually you know they want you to stick around if you do a good job and there are certain people though that sort of put bands together and you keep your eye on those people so a couple of auditions i've had are through this particular person that is known to put bands together he'll post on his facebook being like looking for a bass player does it feel competitive oh yeah yeah (laughs) you have to be kind of like cutthroat about it no i wouldn't say cutthroat um it is when i first got here honestly and i was just telling friend a friend of mine moved here from ohio she's a fantastic drummer and she was sort of talking about how she feels a little bit intimidated of you know just all these people there's so much competition and i really felt that in my first year where i was like what's the point there's thousands of female brunette bass players like you you start to realize though in la that competition is competition is a good thing first of all because you might get a gig if this girl gets another gig then that spot's open and you can just hop right in there and so in some ways like what's good for the gander is good for the goose but um you know what what i've come to peace with and it's taken time is just that everyone offers something different um i'm not the most technical player against my competition uh but i have a lot of experience touring i'm super laid back i can hang with the guys i'm not like you know high maintenance on tour um i've i'm trying to say everyone has good qualities and sure yeah sometimes those will be what someone's looking for. So when you okay. really get down to it, competition is all in your head. Sounds because... like your advertising degree at work <laughs> a little bit. Oh yeah. Does that constantly. come into play? Would you all say? the time. Yeah, I'm really happy that I have office skills and communication skills in that way. That puts me ahead too. Just communicating clearly through email, um, communicating clearly on the phone, uh, and promoting myself. I'm constantly promoting myself. I've gotten two tours from Instagram and I'm constantly using Instagram as my like, you know, little Yeah, that seems like there's a personal huge... ad. Yeah, you mentioned like female brunette bass player. Yeah. Do people kind of seek those attributes out? Is that something that like when someone's putting a, a group together or looking for are they looking for like a certain like appearance or demographic? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think, I um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of it, especially for the more pop side of things. Um, you know, certain artists don't want to use girls on stage. If it's just like one girl singing, just like dudes blend in the background, you know, they might want that. If someone is looking for a girl, they're going to be looking for a certain look. It's totally just, it's casting. It's LA. It's like, yeah, that's LA. You know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, truly. And, and I'm, I'm okay with it. Obviously there are parts about it that suck. Um, but you know, maintaining an image and sort of sticking to an image. Um, a lot of people do hair color as their like thing, you know, sure, the girl with sure, the purple yeah. hair, the girl, it's like kind of, um, you know, I don't know. I think about it all the time. I try not to let it get to me, but I feel a lot of people have different looks. Some people are, you know, more. I mean, it must be frustrating to fall into the category of, like, oh, that's not what we were looking for. Of course, but that's the name of the game. I don't know. And I mean, how, how often do you hear like the reason why you might not have gotten a gig? I would think rarely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You, yeah. You don't get like an exit interview or anything? No. Okay. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, there isn't like an HR department. No. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I always am very prepared for auditions, which is all I can do. You know, I also take care of myself, look good, blah, blah. But, you know, going to an audition, um, I always crush it. There was one audition I didn't crush and I had a fever of like 102 
and it was for the Six Three Flags. I know it was for the Six Flags band, which is this like band that performs like during. You're daytime. backing like the old dancing man, like the no, you, Six no. Flags that guy. <laughs> no, it's not that big of a deal. No, I'm, just, I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, it was just a funny thing for me because I I didn't get I didn't get a call back and I knew I wasn't going to, but I pushed myself to go because I was like it was I was sort of newer to LA and I got the audition. It was kind of like a process to get the audition. And I was so sick and it was like a hundred degrees, obviously, and I had a fever and I showed up and I tried. I mean, I really tried, but that was the one audition I will say in LA where I showed up and I was just like, this is just, it's not going well. Otherwise, what I was trying to say, my point is when I show up and crush it as best as I absolutely can and I don't get a gig, it's fine. That's actually like, okay with me, you know, more so than if I didn't crush it. It's not, you don't take it personally. Right. It's not your playing. It's something external, which I think is, like I said, it's probably more frustrating than... Yeah, because there's only so much you can prepare. zoom out for a little bit and go way let's talk about your childhood um we are on a couch it's very therapeutic (laughs) did you go to music school private lessons that sort of thing Mm. Um, yeah i'm self-taught i had maybe two piano lessons and quit when i was a kid um i think my my parents especially my dad he was a drummer he's a musician he he saw talent in me and like his friends did and my, my teachers did very early, you know, just simple stuff like recorder lessons, not lessons, but you know, when you took recorder sure. in elementary oh, yeah, school. Yeah. Hot um, cross buns. And yeah, like, hot yeah. cross buns. Even then a teacher was just like, whoa, like, you know, rhythm and just like quick. So oh, she's fucking killing hot cross buns. Yeah. Uh, so I do remember wanting to play drums. So my dad was a drummer and I have drums in my blood. Like I sit down at a drum kit and I feel like a natural. And I remember in like, I think it was fifth grade we were picking instruments for band and I was like, I'd like to be a drummer. And the band instructor was like, no, you're too talented for to be a drummer. You should stick with clarinet. Big slam on drummers. I know. And in retrospect, I mean, that kind of changed a lot, I think, for me, where if I had just, if they were like, sure, be a drummer, I would have like gone the drum route, I think. You know, you never know. But it's interesting because, sure, I get where that dumb person was coming from in the sense of, the drums in fifth grade are like tink 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 whereas like you know you're learning more theory on clarinet yeah there's a ceiling to i mean i think even maybe as a professional drummer there's kind of a ceiling to like you can have all the chops in the world but like you're going to be playing kind of like straight four four backbeat like maybe some money fills if you really want to right yeah um you know, I'm happy things turned out the way they did, but it's always, I've when I realized that moment in my head, I was like, wow, that's also rude. If a teacher, you know, if a kid wants to do something, you should let them do it. But, you know, I, I again, see where they're coming from. It feels less rude to say you're too talented for that. Right. It's like, <laughs> kind of like the backhanded compliment. Yeah. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to play drums until I found out you have to use your feet too. And I was like, <laughs> no way, no, no, that game's off. I'm and then so... I came to it later. I'm yeah, gonna... right. I am so happy I don't have to lug the stuff around, though, now. On tour, I always help drummers because I feel bad for them, lug their stuff around, but, you know, I'm... They're deserving of your pity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
anyway so that was I, I taught myself bass um i remember my dad like i said he was a drummer he was getting into like midi he like built a little electronic kit and he wanted to try recording with two inputs and he was like can you learn this song on bass um and i learned so lonely by the police that was the first song and then we played it together just like in his bedroom into the midi and it was like oh that was fun learned every album in the whole house after that just like kept going like you know like forrest gump just like kept learning like just didn't stop and uh, my dad had a drum kit in the basement so we would jam together and it was just uh, I, I'd have friends over I had bands in high school um, yeah and my dad was also self-taught um, he I sort of expressed interest in going to college for music and he was kind of like nah like you should get a degree in something be a musician on the side um, again that's advice that I'm not sure I would give someone but I'm happy about how it all turned out but yeah, my all of my training has just been playing in bands, learning CDs. Just and, playing on your own. Yeah. Do you learn by ear? Yeah. And but now you read music. I can. I don't Tablature. have to. Yeah. You tabs. Just, oh, you just absorb it. Yeah. Osmosis. Cool. Yeah. Um, but then in 2011, so when I was graduating, my dad actually passed away, and it was this real like. The real silver lining to that is just I was like I don't want to die being in advertising. Like I want to like be a musician. That's what I want. That's what he wanted. You know, he always had a day job. He didn't like get to travel. So it's crazy to think about how he like fully shaped me as a musician and died before I started touring. But his death really inspired me to start touring. He kind of like wanted for you what he didn't. Yeah. And just seeing someone, you know, seeing someone's end of life like that, it really makes you just obviously think. And it, like I said, silver lining. I just... You know, weird circumstances all came together, and I got my first audition uh, for a tour with a band called Hunter Valentine, and that was in 2013, and then professional touring since then. That was like, that was it. So you kind of made your bones touring yeah. in the first place. Yeah. That's where the fire comes from. Yeah. <laughs> Had you toured before that? Uh, not more than like up to Montreal and back down to New York, you know, things like that, but like a week or two sure, at the sure. most. Yeah. So Hunter Valentine, I feel like, is a good place for people to like be able to grasp and and kind of understand what your life looks like during that so are you in the band are you a hired gun what's the status on that i believe the way we went about it um they were touring pretty heavily at the time they had just been on a u.s tour they were on a tv show that really like got things going for them in a lot of ways it was called the real l word on i think it was on showtime it was a a spin-off of the l word but it was all real people uh, a reality show and so you know they were they were touring heavily with with that sort of success when I joined um, so I think at first they called me a hired gun I remember we did a music video and it was very much like she's there but just kind of keep, yeah. keep her out of the shot just in case you know close-ups on like your hands maybe. yeah exactly um, and then after like a year you know it was kind of like yeah you're a member of the band um, so that that was nice. I mean, just having something steady. They they toured very steadily. Now, is there a distinction, like from a business standpoint, like oh, you're a member of the band now. Like here's a different cut of what we're making. I how does that how does that work? Not with that particular project. Okay. Yeah, I I've heard that, and I've, I've known people that have gone through that sort of transition here in LA. But um, that one, nothing changed for me. Okay. Which I was happy about. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So it's not yeah, so it's not meant to be a slam. It's just like yeah, yeah. When you get a promotion and a new title, but your salary doesn't really yeah. Um, and how much of the year are you touring with them? Uh, at that time, that was probably probably seven months out of the year. Oh, God. And, and that you're was, doing like Warp Tour and all that stuff? Yeah, we did Warp Tour, opening for Cindy Lauper for a couple. Oh, my uh, God, two that's right. Tours. Yeah. Huge, huge shows. Opening for Sum 41. Um, 
Yeah, and then just also little headlining tours. Not little. They were great. But, yeah, right. but it was mostly van touring. Besides the Cindy Lauper tours, it was 15-passenger van with a trailer. Even Warped? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. The legend I hear of Warped is like people split buses with each other, and that's how that's the only way people get through it. Truly, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. We did, uh, we did a leg of it. I, I like always am impressed that all those punky boys don't wind up with like scurvy and just die on warp tour like because we were girls like we take pretty good care it of really ourselves. is a miracle <laughs> yeah just these young dudes in like a van oh god and just the driving i mean it was there were brutal nights um really brutal nights because you're keeping yeah, cause up your with call the time tour. Is super early super early yeah this is all stuff i know from hearsay i haven't yeah. been to warp tour since literally 2001 yeah so <laughs> i just from friends who have done it yeah like yeah. i said i'm just yeah just like we were we liked to shower and you know <laughs> like eat well and just make sure we took care of ourselves as like a bunch of girls i just felt that the standard was different for the guys on the tour and i was like looking at them like how how did you just spend all day in the sun drinking pbr and you drove all the way to play like i don't it'll catch up with them at some <laughs> someday i think yes oh man and the the band is split is that the yeah 2016 was the hiatus tour um oh. we went on a hiatus it's coming back you never know <laughs> i'm crossing my fingers yeah i mean everyone just sort of um me and the guitar player lisa at the time we are both still uh hired gun musicians we're both working that full time the lead singer um is now in real estate and the drummer is a chef in toronto so wow. they, everyone sort of you know went their way in 2016 and um yeah so if you're on the road for seven months of the year that leaves another five where you're, I guess, playing with other artists? Or does that kind of schedule leave a lot of time for that? Not really. When I was in Hunter Valentine, uh, you know, more full time, uh, I didn't play too much outside of that. Um, that was like kind of before I would have called myself a hired gun. Here here in LA, um, the seven months would be with maybe different people. So the time in between would have to be getting those people to hire me you know there's more yes, of a of more of a hustle in between um yeah with hunter valentine i was not really playing with the artists in between <laughs> this whole conversation is making me feel bad we had a we had a bass player in the project that i'm doing now we had a bass player who we brought in because we like got a gig offer and we didn't have a full-time we didn't have it was like a, it's me and another guy writing songs in the studio and we barely got a drummer in and then we needed a bass player so i i, I hit up someone i knew who was kind of like Berkeley grad like she's good we eventually had to like stop calling her because it's yeah, like I don't want to pay out of my though. own pocket I mean we're like we'll be lucky if we get paid at all and if we do it's all going to you but like I, I think it's fair in the sense that like oh this is kind of like a for the love of the game band yep. like we're not trying to like monetize this in any way quite the opposite actually mm -hmm. so that's the thing though for me that that well everything you still said is right because if you don't have the money to pay your band don't have that person get someone that's either free or use tracks like that's something in LA that should just be a standard um, a lot of us are here making a living or trying to so when an artist brings me on and, and is not well I just honestly don't take unpaid gigs anymore and that's it's taken me a long time to get there because of course when I first got here it's like oh I need the exposure sure sure whatever sure, yeah, you know yeah. now it's just you know I, it takes me I show up so prepared I am someone that will do my homework I sit here I spend time you know it's something that I should be paid for my time and, and what I yeah. ask for is not that much so my point is if someone wants me on a gig and I say oh my rate is this and they're like we can't afford that bye it's better all 
things considered, of all the work that you do, is there a particular gig or type of gig that is like your bread and butter? Like, what's the most profitable type of engagement that you're... Yeah, touring is the most profitable. Um, really? Yeah. For me, one-off gigs, I can ask for you know a certain amount of money, but that's the one night. With touring, you can expect the paycheck at the end, and you, I spend a lot less money on tour. It's sort of, you know, I've been in situations where I've been able to sublet while I'm on tour. That also helps a lot. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, because your bills aren't really stopping just because you're on the road. Right. So but, you know, I'm, I'm spending less on food, drinks, things like that. Um, usually, you know, if there's not a per diem, things are just provided at venues. So for me, touring right now is the most profitable. How much negotiating power do you have going into something like that? Like, can you say, I'll do it if I can get a per diem of like $15 yep. a day? I've been, yeah, negotiating in that way. Damn. Yeah. Do you have like contracts? Does ink and paper come into this? Ah, usually it's via email or something. So there's some kind of paper trail. Okay. Um, okay. But, you know, the more, the more I tour, uh, the more I'm getting paid. So it's just, I'm, you know, my experience is going out. People can see what I'm doing. Uh, so I can start to ask for more. Do you have any ways of like monetizing your online presence? Do you have like a YouTube channel where you're getting yeah. X amount of views or has that I not really of, cracked yet? I haven't. I've had people suggest to me starting a Patreon. Patreon? Patreon. Patreon. Uh, that would but not be a good time to plug patreon.com slash selling out podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had people tell me that I should do sort of, I do those base cover videos Um take requests on walkthroughs of covering a song and sort of like film it in a way where someone could learn how I play it. Um, that's something I've considered. As of now, I have not monetized um, my online presence. Do you teach or anything? Like, aside from the walkthrough thing you just described, you know, yeah. you're not like doing private lessons? No, I, I don't know. Having the responsibility of students actually kind of makes me feel right now I can just leave tomorrow, you know? even with my day job and the idea of having to sort of pawn someone off and that stresses me a little bit. A lot of folks do Skype lessons. Yeah. I wonder if that's, do you think it has to do with the fact that you kind of come from this autodidactic tradition where you're, you're self-taught, your dad was self-taught. Yeah. Maybe it's hard to impart those things upon someone else. Absolutely. Teaching I would have very little form. technical, uh, you know, information to bring, but I did give guitar lessons in New York to someone and it was great because this person wanted to learn songs. They didn't want to learn like a scale. Theory, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, I would need those kind of students. I could help them. But even so, I don't think my technique is necessarily what someone should follow. So I guess I could teach and be like, don't do this. But <laughs> Yeah, right, yeah. Just put it in really like concrete terms. Like, yeah. Play the right notes when you're supposed to, but don't play the wrong notes when you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. That's about all the advice I would have. I'm like... Um, self-taught as a drummer but yeah. I just I know I know how to do it but I don't think that I could articulate that very well so, yeah. yeah I mean one thing that I find that I could provide a lot of value with is if someone came to LA I could teach them how to get where I'm at like just sort of like all of this like advertising stuff I have in my brain and promotion and to break into the scene yeah that's something that I feel I'd provo provide more value teaching that than a scale I mean you provide literal value in that sense yeah which yeah any any sucker can learn the notes. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how did you come by the theory if you're self -taught? Honestly, like just from it's kind of just in there. It just, okay. I can't really explain it, but if I if the song is on a C, I know where it's going to go based on what I hear the song is in. You know, sort yeah, of just yeah, like yeah. I can sort of improvise. Well, I guess the theory is true then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Music I'm theory not, confirmed. Yeah. <laughs>
Now, do you work side jobs? I've had, so when I got to LA, I had two different day jobs, remote day jobs, and that sort of got me set up, um, put a lot of money into savings. Now I have one sort of part-time situation that I'm working on. It's a recruiting job, tech recruiting. So that's something that is like, I did it from the tour bus on my last tour. Like it's super like nice. Yeah. It's interesting whenever I've been on tour and I do my day job from the bus or the van, everyone's like, oh my god like you're making money doing that like how do you oh like it's funny i've had so many people be like how do i get into that can you help me get into that and it's sort of like i took an office job before i graduated and worked full-time through college and then kept office jobs it has been many many years of sitting at a desk to like get to the trust of like someone being like yeah you can do this from wherever so it's kind of funny i i got started early i'm super glad that i have what i have um absolutely if i need to be working from the road you know uh, but most artists I know in LA are teachers. They teach lessons. In New York, most of them are bartenders. That's like a different huh. a different vibe. I spoke to someone who, I mean, their band is not their living, but like bartending is. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's non-musical. I don't know what kind of walls people want to put up, mm-hmm. if that's desirable, if some people would rather have like an office job and then just do the music thing at night. You know. Yeah. I think that's the key that I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like maybe, I don't know. A hundred percent of someone's income comes from putting their fingers on a bass. That's the like dream. My, my, that is the dream. I mean, how close to that are you? Like, I get closer every day. I something that is in the industry, especially you know, if you know, as a hired gun, when you get to a certain level, you might be on retainer, and that's when that life comes into play. So, say you are hired by a huge pop star. She's touring, say, seven months out of the year. Those other months, they don't want you to take another gig, so they pay you a retainer. And that's when you can kind of relax with that. And of course, do recording and things in the meantime when you're home um, and probably get paid for that as well. But um, Just a point of clarification. When you said you moved out here and you had two remote jobs yeah. at the same time, Yeah. getting rid of one is kind of a jumping off point. Yeah. Like how long did it take you to get to that, uh, that stage? Like nine months into living here. It, moving is expensive, so it was really course, helpful yeah. to have, you know, to get a car. Um, and to you moved get, from New York, right? Yeah. No, that's serious. Yeah. yeah, everything in this apartment was manifested from those two-day jobs. Like, you know, this is like I set it up to be, to be comfortable. I'm really glad I did because now it's sort of um, – been a lesson lately my my day job went sort of from full-time more to part-time recently and it's amazing because i have so much time to practice and write and do other things that are so conducive to becoming the bass player i'm trying to be but you know financially it's hard so something i've been sort of learning is getting all the money from the tour and having to stretch that out whereas before i would be getting a paycheck in two weeks you know like Boom, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Right. But yeah. that's been sort of exciting because it's like, oh, this is kind of what life will look like as I get more and more tours. You know, just like getting home, I have a month or two at home, stretching that out till the next one. Better financial discipline. Yeah. <laughs> that's you know, that that's, that's that's something you don't learn until it's until too late to. sometimes. Yeah. 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 Totally. And as you kind of get more experience, tour more, gig more, how do you kind of make the call in terms of your own rate for yeah. that something like that. It's a really good question. I have artists that I adore working with and I don't charge them as much as other artists. Um, so sometimes people come to me with a number and it's higher than I would have asked. So that was, you know, a recent experience and I was like, great, that works for me, you know? Yeah, so, it certainly does. Yeah. Um, You're but, like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, all right, well, I'll see what yeah. I can do with that. Yeah. And it's truly like, I sometimes I'll give my rate to someone and be like, if it's someone that I really want to work with, I'll be like, this is absolutely negotiable. You know, like this is like, I would like to do this project. So, 
um, yeah, right now it's sort of a sliding scale in that way, based course, on like my course. interest and desire. But your general, the trend has been upward over time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. I, I guess it maybe cuts both ways. Where like, if you got an offer from like a bigger artist, mm -hmm. where you're like, oh yeah, I would love to work with them, and I can cut you a sweet deal. But at the same, maybe it's some, maybe it's like Cindy Lauper, for example, and yeah. you're like, you know, she's got the money. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's like it's hard to maybe juggle that sort of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think in that case, of course, I want the opportunity and I wouldn't be afraid to name a number that is reasonable for me. Sure. Yeah. Man, arriving at that seems like this whole creative industry is like it's where like the nature of work starts to fall apart in like the quantum mist. And so, yeah, I just can't, you know, I have been in like a straight job for so long that I can't even make sense of it. I don't know how I did touring for so many years and just like threw money at it i know it's interesting to think about like you're like having a career like if you if you're watching sometimes i'm like watching a show and it's about like someone climbing the ladder of their career as like a banker or whatever and i'm like almost envious because in music it gets so fuzzy like i'm so climbing the ladder of this music career but it's like the ladder is so twisted you know yeah, it's like yeah. so it's not like i got a promotion today like it's so funny it's like i'm in the running for this u.s tour like right, you know it's right. like it's a cool up level up but it's just so vague yeah I, I i feel like maybe the the metric is how familiar people are with the artists that you're you're absolutely right and it's one thing that i sort of don't like about especially the la industry but this is just one of those things you've come to accept is once you get that big big name then it's like you're at the next level and everyone's like let's interview you let's oh let's send you guitars and basses and it's just it's kind of funny and it also just creates this sort of little i don't know like effect of this upper bubble that's really hard to break into because then once you've done that name the other big name is like oh we're gonna pick from this bubble you know and i i totally get why i totally get it um but especially in la with like the jam nights and things they're just like spotlight because this person got this gig and it's sort of like you know, there's a lot of players here. There's a lot of people that are good. And yeah. it's maybe doesn't always seem fair to just like highlight again and again and again, the dude that happened to get the gig with the big pop punk band. You know, it's, I, I get it. And I'm not even bitter about it. It's something that I've, again, come to accept, but it is a weird little thing. Well, I kind of wonder if there's also an expectation created if you get like a bigger profile gig mm -hmm. that you may be reticent, at least to take something on what's perceived to be a lower tier because you yeah. don't want to kind of lower your brand to that. I yeah. mean, it sounds it sounds like kind of vicious, but yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Does that fact... I don't think so. You'll I, play anything. Yeah, I think, I like think a play. lot of... Right. A lot of the people I know that have sort of hit that next level, they like to be in LA and do the like hotel cafe gigs and the stuff that are, you know, just the singer-songwriter stuff just to play. Um, you know, also, you know, our network is big. It might be a friend that needs you something. So, yeah, it's... I agree with you. The, the bigger name is maybe the neck, the big promotion. Um, and I think a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know are on that path. If you want to keep up with Leanne on her path, including the debut of her forthcoming original music, whenever that happens, I've put links in the description of this episode, as always, including a link to the ever-growing Spotify playlist of songs featured on the show. Some of you have asked, and I am in the process of catching up on transcripts. I will update you via podcast when that is nearer to completion. I'm not sure I ever properly credited the late Steph DeBona for transcribing a bunch of the initial episodes, but she did, and she did a great job, and she also provided a lot of really thoughtful feedback on them. 
before I even launched, so just shouting her out. I said it before and I'll say it again. You gotta gas up your friends. And it helps to do it before they prematurely pass away, uh, so they can be on the receiving end of those compliments. I guess I'm just kind of feeling bad about that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, please consider leaving a nice rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps people find the show. Or you can be like the 89th person to chime in on one of those threads that say, got a long drive coming up, recommend me podcasts. And every third comment is just an NPR show that's also released in podcast form. Our theme song is No Cab Fare by Such Gold, photography by Nick Di Natale. I'm Mike Moschetto. This is Selling Out. See you next time.